This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence throughout. Listener discretion is advised. Cavalry Audio. Three, two, one. Welcome back, Murder Chronicles Nation. Thank you for joining us today. As always, I am Brandon Morgan. I produce the Murder Chronicles with the great Carolyn Osorio, who we're lucky enough to have joining us again today. Hello, Carolyn. You're always so nice when we start. What happens? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I know, you're Mr. Innocent. Hey, I'm I'll always take it. I'm always Thank this you. Nice to you. I'm, my, my behavior towards you is consistent. I'm always nice and never breaking your balls. Um, <laughs> Okay. And All if right. you believe that it's, one, it's I got a bridge to sell you. Ten right. seconds in. <laughs> How was your week? Um, it was great. It was a really good week. How about you? Good. Yeah. Good. Kids are good. Wife's doing well. Weather's been very, very nice here in uh, in Los Angeles. It, it was seventy-five degrees, and in Jersey, where my mom still lives, they had that Arctic blast. It was negative six. You know, we've had some really cold weather this uh, winter, and like it was like 20 degrees, which is super cold for us. Like we're walking around just like, what's happening? What's happening? Does it get below freezing much up there? I didn't think it did. No, it does. So when it snows, but it doesn't get that cold. Like we were literally, it's just like a different feeling. You know, the air feels different. Oh, yeah. Um, And and our actual, our heater actually went out during Christmas time. And it was such a nightmare. Yep. So anyway, it, well, I remember it, cold, cold, cold days growing up back east, like waiting for the bus when I'm in like in junior high. When any exposed skin is, it just it hurts. It's physically painful because of how cold it was. You know, um, I remember. Yeah, all I don't that. know how. When I take my son to school, he's in ninth grade, and I drop him off, and like none of these kids wear coats. Mm. Like, it's just not a cool thing anymore. I guess they don't use lockers. So, like, they're literally, like, wearing sweatshirts or... And it's freaking freezing out. Like, I'm Why don't they use lockers? Why don't they use lockers? Like, it's not cool to use your locker? Is that what the thing is nowadays? I think that it was so traumatic for people who couldn't figure out the lock. And I don't know what it is, but they they have... Like, my middle schooler has it, you know... (laughs) traumatic to figure out a a, a combination lock that's the problem with our i'm worried for the future carolyn i'm worried i'm just going with it i i don't i'm not going with it i I would not go with it well then you were obviously one of the ones that had your locker and we're all like bragging like got it on the first try it's it's three numbers and a little manual dexterity that's all it is but you have to go past the one and they don't for whatever reason I, I can't excuse it. I was a, a locker whiz. So I'm just like, okay, you know, I don't get it either. Cause you know, that was a part of, that was a part of the whole thing. You know, you go and you like set your, get it next to your friend. And then you like bling it out with your personality. <laughs> what are you, what are you giving me the stink? No, I just, I can't believe it's like, Oh, I'm just not going to use it. Cause I can't figure out how to open a combination lock. I'm not saying that's what it is. I don't know what it is. There's no, I, I don't know if that's the reason. All I know is that they stopped making kids use them. So my 
my son who's in middle school, he's in sixth grade and he has a locker and he can choose to use it or he doesn't use it. So, yeah. I think that's a symptom of, uh, okay. Offhand, how many of your friends and extended circle of friends phone numbers did you have memorized when you were in junior high? Well, all of them. All of them. All, all of them. them. All My of daughter them. doesn't know her own phone number. Okay. <laughs> well, I think it's because, I mean, to be fair, like I don't know all of my kids' numbers because they come up on the phone. So we're lazy. Like why should, but that's but, what I'm saying. We're using yeah. our brains differently. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's totally, you can't even compare it though. I mean, we had to remember all those things and we were dialing them like constantly and like the long phone cord. Did you and ever do, like, did you ever do an emergency breakthrough when like your best friend's number was busy for a long time? <laughs> totally forgot about that yeah i know exactly what you're talking about people are gonna be like what are you people talking about right so the they're used to, to, to the younger audience there used to be a thing called a busy signal right mm -hmm. where if you called somebody and they were on the phone they would you not yeah. answer it and if you had something like important okay and this was before call waiting because remember call waiting call was waiting. a big Absolutely. thing yeah. no call waiting was great but and you needed to talk to somebody because some shit was going down. You call the operator. Yes, I need to make an emergency breakthrough on this number. And they would go, beep. Yes, hello, this is the operator. You have an emergency breakthrough from Brandon. Will you accept? Yeah, it's crazy. And That's then, funny. I, did you actually use, because you're only supposed to use it for emergencies. Were you the Yeah, who knows what an emergency like, is? Who know, knows? So, the so operator doesn't judge your emergency. I know, emergency. I'm saying you yeah. used it. You would totally be the type of person where it's like, I'm using it. Absolutely. Yeah. Not like just willy nilly, like what's the score of the baseball game? No. But if, if it was like, if I thought somebody was like talking shit or somebody was, was going to like give some information that was incorrect, that would like disparage my reputation. Fuck. Yeah. I would break through. <laughs> I got to get to them first. Yeah. That's an emergency. Is someone going to disparage my when reputation? 13? When you're 13, oh that's an emergency. Oh, no. yes. So funny. Oh my gosh. Insight into you at 13. Absolutely. Look out. Yeah. I am like breaking through operator. <laughs> yeah. What if they're talking to someone I don't want them talking to? Are you talking to that girl? No. What are you saying about me? Sure. Yeah, it was, oh man, just the hormonal like upheaval just going on. You don't know where, what is up. And oh my gosh, it was fucking crazy times. I know. Right. And now it's weird. I was talking to my daughter last night um, when I was, I don't know, gosh, seventh grade, eighth grade, my first girlfriend, which is basically like the first girl like I held hands with in the hall. Um, her dad was early like in tech at like IBM, right? And one night we were talking on the phone as, you know, middle school kids did back then for hours. There was nothing else to fucking do. <laughs> and she's like, and she said, oh my gosh. I'm so glad that we don't have a phone of vision because I wouldn't want you to see how I look right now. And I went, what are you talking about? What's a phone of vision? She goes, well, it's this tech. My dad said it's this technology that's going to be coming where it's like, it's a, like you can see the person you're talking to as you're talking to them. Like, I remember that so clearly. What what, what a humble brag. Right. right? No, I just, oh right. But she didn't know what she was talking about either. I know, but she was seriously humble bragging on that. Yeah, one. I guess. Thank God I don't have a phone of vision. Like it even existed then and that there was a name for it. And, and I remember that. And what did you so, say? Well, Hey, you want me to come over? Do you like me? 
That's all. That was the that was the extent of my game. So, do you like me? You know, that was it. That was it. Yeah. Oh uh, my gosh, that is too funny. And now that's all my kids do. It's like there's no regular hold the phone to your ear talking anymore. It's all FaceTime on speaker. Like I have to hear all of that. I don't want to hear it. I'm like get the headphones or put put the phone to your face. <laughs> like yeah. normal. Why do you got to look at everybody the whole time? It's 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 just it's strange. It's it's evolving. It's evolving yeah. technology. But anyway, um, I don't know how we got there. But hey, here we are. Uh, um, so let's talk about this. This, this was I interesting. I, I hearing people talk about it um, before the age. Unfortunately, one of the detectives touched on this. Uh, there was a time where this was the biggest mass 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 murder in the United States. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, you know, this would probably get a two or three day news cycle today. You know? I know. Yeah. And back then. I generally, it was- you know, my rule of thumb is I don't ever cover mass shootings. I mean, from the beginning when I started doing true crime, yeah. live cast, this was, that was kind of like, I'm not, because, you know, they're actively looking for attention and looking for their names to be, spread and the lore right. spread, and i just don't want to be any kind of part of that well there's all. an obvious difference between something right. someone who goes into a movie theater and shoots up the place and this case this was uh, a targeted yeah. place with a with a definite kind of uh motive behind it which was robbery and not just murder because i'm an asshole right or mm-hmm. uh, so it, it, it's different I, I yes this was technically a mass shooting but it wasn't what we know it today to be. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, so I learned a lot on this one, uh, which I love about this. I I don't know why, but I never equated Seattle with having a thriving Chinatown. Port uh, City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, hundred percent Port City. And, and I guess every, I mean, why wouldn't they? LA's got a huge Chinatown, New York, obviously San Francisco, right? So, um, so that was interesting to hear. And then, um, and then that there was almost an, uh, there was a policy of tolerance for gambling by the mm-hmm. city that it, yeah. almost like it it wasn't hush hush. It was like yes, we're allowing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I don't know why that is. I don't know why that is. Like, because I, I, I want to talk to you about it a little bit, and it's a little bit of a dangerous area, because it seems that there are hints of, of when I say racism, I don't mean uh, that in the negative. I just mean like, why was it only allowed in the Chinese section of the city? I don't think it was. I think it was. Uh, D- Detective Melton said, you know, there were other kind of mom pa like taverns that were doing some you know, some kind of gambling stuff. And um, I think that it was just like what he said was you can't totally eradicate it. You know, you can't, it's like whack-a-mole, but I do think that um, I had heard and I have no idea if this was actually, you know, it is not, it could have happened. I don't know, but like there were police that could have been taking, you know, bribes or something. Sure. Of course, the two detectives that I talked to, were very clear in that, Hey, that, that didn't happen, but there are rumors that, that, that it did. So I think that it's, 
an interesting part of the story where it's like, yeah, why was all this happening? But they literally had their steel doors up to yeah. sure that nobody was getting inside. And they probably knew like, yeah, we're not getting inside. So it was established as a speakeasy during prohibition, but still catering to the Asian population, right? It was like a, it was a, a well, Chinese I speakeasy. Was, I think it was like all people came. Right. You know, said that you said that, that all were welcome, but it was a destination. Yeah. Yeah. I think that when it was like the Moi May Club and it was the gang and it was high rollers and it was, you know, it was a different kind of thing than when people are like, hey, let's go to the China Chinatown International District and, you know, dance the night away. And right. And it would be like exotic and it would be like, a, you know, different and you know, new, new people probably in a different culture. Cause you know, with these really robust communities in these big cities, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, it's like it, West Hollywood here in LA, like the, a, a, a big part of it east of Fairfax is very, very Russian. Like it's, it's like you're in little Odessa almost, you know, um, all the street signs are in Russian. All the people are Russian. It's like caviar stores and shit everywhere. It's weird. Right. Um, because you feel like you're in a different country within this within Los Angeles. And so that's like I was in San Francisco a couple months ago and walking into walking into the Chinatown section of the city was amazing. It was so live and so cool and very, very different, completely different vibe. The moment like block to block and the whole world changes, you know. Um and so it yeah, just and that's seemed... very much how it is in Seattle. I mean, it's amazing. Right. It's a great place to to go have fun and to shop and to you know, just be. <clears throat> right, but it just seems like this building mm -hmm. from its inception operated to an extent outside of regular laws, either as a speakeasy with illegal booze uh, going forward a hundred years where, you know, gambling was, it was tolerated almost at a legislative level in the city. Yeah. I mean, I think that this building, I think there was a lot of illegal gambling going on um, yeah. in yeah, this yeah, area. Yeah. Okay. And I think that this place, though, especially when it got to the 80s, was known for its high stakes, for its high pots. And it was very, mm. like, very, very low key, very, very flying under the radar. They didn't cause problems. They didn't, you know, the police weren't going there. They, they knew their business. You know, it was very uh, humble, I guess you would say. It, it wasn't like this movie version of like casino royale where you're just like going in there and you know yeah. tie or uh tucks and you know elegant dresses and things like that by that time mm -hmm. you know it was very much this is a gambling place so you got to be in the know to get in there <clears throat> and not just anyone is getting in there yeah and i know what the detective was talking about there, where i grew up there was this this pool hall that i spent most of my time in in high school and uh and there were these, you know, there were all the pool tables and then there, you know, there's a little corral with some video games and ping pong, uh, I'm sorry, pinball. And then in the side, like kind of back in the corner, there were these two, you know, video games, right? Where. <laughs> air quotes, everybody. Right. Oh yeah. I was doing air quotes, excuse me, where uh, you would play and I never did, right? I was a kid. I didn't have a lot of money. Uh, but a lot of the older kind of what were you even doing in there? Are you like looking for action? Just looking for action. Are you like 17? How are they? Do you have fake ID? 15. Yeah. Young. Just you know, just no supervision, nowhere to go. 
right? And go there and learn learn the hustle. I was Get never it, good enough. Baby. I, was ne- it, baby. I was never a great player. No matter how much I practiced, I just didn't have the natural talent to be a great pool player. But I could understand the gambling and where the good money was and and would watch the hustles happening. And then, you know, and I would I would do runs for people and, you know, do some illegal shit, but not nothing crazy, you know, but um, mm-hmm. they trusted me. But there were these two machines there where these guys were pumping in like 20s and 50s and $100 bills and uh, and they would and then tickets would come out like you're at like a ski ball fucking place right at the shore right and we get these tickets i'm like what's that and he goes oh it's tickets you can whatever but then the owner would honor those right like if you won like you won it was a lot of payouts for these tickets but most of the time you lost and he got the money from the machine so it was it was basically an extra step towards um uh like a a, a slot machine basically We'll be back after a quick break. In Washington, there's Seattle, which is Seattle Police Department is separate from King County. And King County has like all these communities outside of it's inside Seattle, but it's also the surrounding areas. So I think that, you know, he was saying in King County, we had an open policy. And I think that it went that was through have these little taverns and bars and these people are just trying to i mean not these people but restaurant owners you know it's a it's it's a way for them yes. to help pay for the rent and so i think that you know again it goes back to this thing where well, it's like sorry i don't know if it's it's a way for them to help pay the rent no it's gambling right it's, you're right it's but how they money. viewed it it's like right, right if you're speeding a little bit over are you really yeah. going to get a ticket unless it's like some you know cop that wants to pull you over for some reason you right. know, like, like, I think that you really can't control just like prostitution, you know, it's like, how do you control yeah. it? And, and yeah. what happens if you, what does that look like when you try? It just, again, goes into a different form. Look at the war on drugs that we've been losing. For <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think that yeah. they viewed it like that, where it's like, Hey, if it was an opportunity for them to bust people, they wanted to, they would, but if it was, you know, just kind of look away yeah. and, you know, that's kind of what it was. Yeah, that's a good point. And to that point, because these these basically illegal slot machines at, at, at my pool room growing up, you know, there were maybe like a dozen or so of these of these pool rooms between like Boston and like Philly, right? That where we'd kind of float in between on weekends and stuff. And they all had them. They all had like some form of them. And then <clears throat> when I was living in Hollywood, there was this uh, Chinese-owned... <laughs> like donut and flower shop like in one like that's that's what they sold sounds, flowers and donuts okay sounds like a good place it was it was great they had awesome donuts and it was a couple blocks away and that's where i'd get donuts in the morning but then inside of the place they had this little floral like wall corner all, you know where you couldn't really see what was going on and back there they had two of those little two of those little slot machines like right on Sunset Boulevard, like right in the middle of Hollywood, you could go in there and you could gamble. Yeah. And and if you think about it back in this time when there was like, there was no place to gamble, it's totally right. different now. You yeah, know, you had like, to get to Vegas or you had to get to Atlantic City. That was or, it. Or Reno. Right. Yeah. Or Re- yeah. So, so, yeah. So, I mean, all of these things were necessary for people who wanted to gamble. And it, it you know, people who like to gamble, it's like, it, like you said, it's a lifestyle. It's not just to gamble. It's after work. I mean, I was so, when I saw those pictures of the crime scene, it was like, oh my gosh. I mean, it's like anybody could have been there. 
Like, I mean, I don't know. I think you waited tables too, but like afterwards yeah. you're, you're off your shift. It's like 11 o'clock, you know, then you're going into the bar with your friends and you know, you're having a couple of drinks to unwind and, and it's like, you get some appies appetizers and, and you're just like doing it, doing it right. You're doing yep. your thing. And that's exactly what this was, except for of course the gambling and um, you know, the, these high stakes people who would come in and just be like, wow, that's a lot of money. So this whole terrible mass fucking killing mm -hmm. was to pay off because the guy didn't want to pay off a gambling debt. You know, I think that that is what it was, but I think these guys were ramping up and they just were getting more and more cocky. And that well, there's Willie like, Mock, the fucking trigger man. This guy was, yeah, this he guy. was off his, yeah, he was, yeah, he was fucking crazy. I mean, the bean sprout ladies, Jesus. Talk about, I mean, talk about like so brutal when you know the culture and you take advantage of it. I wrote that down. It's like abusing cultural norms. Is he a race traitor? Right? Like, is he a traitor to his race by no, right? And, and, and then I'm thinking, all right, what does he give a shit about being a race traitor if he's cool with being a mass murderer? So that's not something that's probably on his mind. But to to abuse the cultural norms that you're aware of and that you're a part of to your advantage, yeah, that's a that, that's that's just an additional layer of his of his douchebaggery, you know. I mean, here's here's where I'll just push back this tiny little bit. It's not even a pushback, but it's yeah. like to that point is that they knew what they were doing because why would they put the towel over the one woman's face that was there? Exactly. There you go. That, that shame of like, okay, sure. we're the worst of the worst. Yeah. And even we feel like we can't do this. So I feel like absolutely using the hardworking people that come over here and work their asses off and work these terribly, horribly long hours and yep. just want to save and just, you know, be with their family and make a better life for yeah. And yeah. build a business. And these fuckers come and then use it against them. And yeah. like actively, like we know, I mean, it's like, we know how successful he is. Let's go rob him. I mean, we sure. know the numbers. We're, you know, sure. yeah, yeah. And and here's something that I that I found interesting because I I think you're painting a picture, and this might just be my interpretation. I, I I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong, but you're painting a picture that I think is a little less than accurate. That I don't think it's just people like you and I were waiting tables and we want to go somewhere and unwind because what I heard over and over again in the episode was that these were owners of restaurants, like restaurant owners. Okay. And, and that is a different class of people. There's labor and there's management and there's ownership. Right. And if these were owners of restaurants and, and that's something that I've, I've found remarkable in the, in the, in the Chinese community, the Chinese immigrant community in particular um, is the ability to work, to save, to own, like ownership is so important in that community. And, and the idea of, of hereditary kind of ownership and legacy and passing things on to their children. So, and that, and the children's responsibility to not rest on their laurels, but to build on the empire, like each generation's like responsibility is to go a step or two farther than the previous. Right. And those like as much as gambling and as much as these other kind of vices, those uh, virtues are kind of built in to the, into, into the culture as long, as well as, you know, things like 
you don't hurt women and you don't, you know, you put the towel over the face, all that kind of stuff. Um, but so these were business owners. These were right, people so with that's that, that's some money. Right. But here, here's the thing is that everything that I have had heard was that it was people from all, all throughout the community that were welcome there. Yeah. You know, the one connect was the gambling and that can be seen by Willie Mock and Benjamin Ang had been there the night before. So like they're like young men, like 22 years old. So they were let in. And then the detective said, Hey, you know, Benjamin Ang's father was there that night. And I always wanted to ask him why, why would you call these people when you know it could have been your own father have this generational thing. And so then it's like, I, I think that there were all of those. This was a unique situation where you did have these super successful bi- restaurant business owners who were super humble people. You know, there's yeah. people who can be super successful and they don't wear it on their sleeves. Like you would never know. Right. You know, and I think that that was the culture of like, hey, we're not rolling up in a limo. It's illegal gambling. We're going to just like, hey, we're going to our place. And um, and so it was a place if you wanted to be a high roller, you could. Do you gamble? Um, I do. I always know that really? I'm going to lose. Yeah, I like pie gal. I like pie gal. <laughs> I like craps. Um, are and, you and kidding I, me? No. Why are you so surprised? <laughs> you See, just seem so white bread conservative. You know, oh like gosh. you do. I'm I don't sorry. like lay it all out like you. Um, no, I don't I, gamble either. I find gambling ridiculous, but oh, I, right. I, no, no, I'm my serious. Husband, my husband is really, really good at poker. He's great. And Poker's so different. When we gamble, I always, I always know that I'm going to lose, but I have fun. You know, right. and then poker. Poker's different because it's not the house. You're not betting against the house. You're betting against other other people at the table. That's different. That's actually a skill. But all these other games like you're talking about, Pi Gow or Pan Nine or Craps or Blackjack, mm-hmm. any of that stuff, mm-hmm. but just light, light your money on fire. I think if you, I get, I can see it. Like for me, it's it's not, I don't love it that much. Like right. when I'm playing Craps and, and it has been forever since I've played Craps, but it's so exciting. And you kind of think, <laughs> oh my God, did I do it? And I always, of course, <laughs> I'm doing the thing that's like, okay, I'm going to get I'm going to put it on the cum or I'm going to do it, whatever. And it's like, right. I don't even know what I'm doing. I do great. <laughs> and it's just that exciting. And then, and then when you're with people and yeah. you have the dice and they're all looking at you and you get the 11 or you get whatever it is. Right. And then all of a sudden you're the hero. So there's like that excitement of being a part of it. But at the end of the day, I don't know what I'm doing. And so it's just kind of like, it's a night out. And, um, you know, I, yeah. I think that, I don't, I don't take it seriously. So it's okay. You know, when I was younger, when I was 18 or 19 and me and my maniac friends would go to Vegas, driving to Vegas from LA. Right. And we'd go there and I'd lose $600. Okay. But that put my accounts to zero. Okay. So when it's all the money that you have, it's all the money that you have. And I'd leave there going, what the fuck is wrong with what i have nothing i have nothing yeah okay yeah and and so i just stopped i just i stopped all right and then it wasn't for years years later that a buddy of mine was uh was producing a movie that was in vegas and it coincided with when prince was doing a residency at this hotel 
and my wife's a huge Prince fan, and we go back. And as a as someone with a few more years under his belt and a little more experience, uh, I had the best time. I have the best times in Vegas now. It's such an amazing city when you're not gambling. Just the nightlife, the restaurants, the museums. Uh, it's 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 like a, it's like growing up Disneyland, and and I know I'm not going to gamble when I get there, so I know I'm not going to have that shitty feeling of just stupidity. Like, yeah. why did I just throw my money away? And it's yeah. I, and I love it now. I fucking love. I mean, it. I, I think that for me, it's like okay, one of the first things that my husband and I did, like when was to go to I think it was Reno or Vegas. I can't even remember. Yeah. And like we went there, and we were like you know, stay in the hotel for the first yeah. time, like that whole thing. And then we were flush, which was like, we were broke. So we probably had like 200 bucks or something. Yeah. And, and then we were all high on the hog with it all. And then like the, the second day we were, we had, we were broke. We had nothing. Right. We were both probably like, I was 21. He was probably 23. And so there was $10 that we had left in the hotel room. Right. Yeah. And so we come back and the $10 is gone and we needed to get to the airport. We needed to take a shuttle or whatever. And we looked at the house, the house cleaner had come through and we were clocking her. Like it was so pathetic. And, and it was like the $10 had been underneath. My husband was like, and I'm like, you know, we're trying to like, we needed the $10. And um, I know. And and it just, even that much, that desperation. Yeah. like that would make me never want to gamble again. Just, just that feeling of like, you know, you're just not going to win. The house is always going to win. Always mid nineties. I'm dating a girl from, uh, from Louisiana. Okay. Living in LA, go home to visit her and her folks. And, uh, this, this was the, the, just the very beginning of uh riverboat gambling being legal. Like if you're at sea, Okay, if you're not on land, okay. I got it. Right. I've seen the Ozarks. Okay. Right. Okay. But okay. this was way back when just being at the dock wasn't enough. The boat actually had to go out into the water. Okay. Yeah. And it would go out for for four hours. You get on the boat. You're not getting out of there for four hours. All right, they got you. Yeah, your 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 captive audience. So we get on the boat, right? And I sit down at uh, at the craps. T- uh, no, at roulette. At roulette. Talk about just burning your fucking money alive, I've never right? I haven't even played roulette. Just I don't roulette. have any higher. And for some, I have no idea why, but I'm hitting. I'm making so much money, right? And I have no, like I'm getting nervous, the money that I'm making, right? Like I think yeah. I'm doing something illegal. Yeah. <clears throat> so after like four hours, I'm up like five grand. It's insane. It's the most money I've ever had in my life. I feel like I'm the king of the world. Can't wait to go back the next night. I'm thinking about all the money I'm going to make. I'm going to triple this. I already know what the story is. I already know what's going to happen. Get on the boat. The boat leaves the dock. Within 15 minutes, I'm dead broke. (laughs) Can't do anything for the next four fucking hours. I got to stay on this boat and just wallow in it. Just sit there. It was the worst. I wanted to jump off and swim ashore. It was so bad. And that's gambling in a nutshell. It's yep. like, you you know, I just can't handle that up to up and down kind of thing. It's like, so I go and I don't have any expectation. Good. You know? It's ridiculous. Oh my God, it's ridiculous. So I want to get back to something in this, in the episode that really stuck out to me. Uh, Cause I think it's illegal because it came from the cop's mouth. So I, if I, maybe I watched too much TV when I was younger, but I think this has, some legal precedent or some actual legal kind of 
gumption to it was a dying declaration. Yeah, wasn't that? Yeah. Right. When he's talking to Win Win Chen, is that was his name? Wai Chen. Wai Chen. He got shot in both sides of his fucking face and his mm-hmm. jaw was like mangled. Mm-hmm. And he was in, you know, I think he said very five times, uh, very, 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 very uh critical condition. Mm-hmm. And so he said, we, we gotta talk to you in case you die. We have to know what happened. And we'll consider this your dying declaration. And so what I would have asked him was, does that actually hold up in court? Yes. If it's it's not corroborated by anybody else. Well, they had a tape recorder. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, regardless of the veracity of his dying declaration, absent anyone else corroborating what he said, would it be considered like, will the court say we consider this to be truthful? Because normally, like if I say I saw somebody do this, they would say, all right, can anyone else corroborate your, 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 yes, this person and this person. And then it, it lends a little more weight to my recollection. But if it's just, if it's a dying declaration, is it considered to be, could it be considered evidence before a jury? Yes, it can, but it has to, they have to know, they have to say, this is your dying declaration and Ooh. they have to, what? No, that just, that freaks me out. I know it freaks me out too. And we talked a lot about it because I was like, that would be so awful to have to go to. And I said, did you have to go to him and say this is, and he's like, yes. And so there's certain ways that it has that if they do die, they can use it in court and it has to be very legal to your point. I don't know exactly what the steps are, Mm -hmm. but it is called the dying declaration. And there are steps that that need to be taken but again you know a court could throw it out because of what you just brought up i mean who knows and he was the only witness to survive so that's so compelling right. see my fit well, i guess my point is maybe a little foolish now that i'm thinking about it but it, it, in the eyes of the court if you if a person knows that they're about to die does that mm-hmm. instantly make them honest like is what they're saying honest because they're afraid that they don't want the last words they speak to be a lie. I mean, I think it comes down to the, how talented the defense attorneys are and, yeah. and all yeah. that stuff, because you could have someone give a dying declaration and it'd be total shit. So, yeah. I mean, because they're dying doesn't mean that it's. You know, it, it, yeah. So right. I say you're a dick and the last thing you're dying declaration is to right. get back at an enemy. Right? Exactly. And right. we know, especially with all the cases we've covered that there's probably people, you know, psychopaths yeah. who totally do that. Like, yeah, even from the grave, I'm going to just mess with people. Right. And if I'm bleeding out, my last thoughts aren't going to be about, you know, this, it would be pro- like get a message to my kids or, or something. You know what I mean? I, I, I do. And yeah. that's where it's like, it, it's the other two detectives, what I didn't include in there, um, you know, so Detective Sanford goes up to him and he's the sergeant. He's like, okay, which one of you wants to go and do the dying declaration basically? And they're like, both of them are like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And Ooh. they didn't want to do it because they didn't want to, they didn't want to be the reason why he died. You know, they're like, he needs emergency treatment. And so obviously so the detective sergeant was like, well, I need to get this I need to get this. This is a hand crime. I need to get this statement. And so he went in there and did. But I mean, those are the kind of choices, you know, it's like, I'm glad I don't have to make those, you know. More Murder Chronicles after the break. So let's talk a little bit more about this Willie Mock fucking psychopath. So, um, like, it makes me scared to go out and go for a jog right now because I might... (laughs) <laughs> right. might see a guy doing some bad shit and I wind up, you know, getting two in the head. 
you know, I mean, uh, that guy was no joke. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, he's watching this happening and like who I'm sure he never thought, oh, this guy is going to come and shoot me. Of course I not. I know. Not. Or at the very least now, if I see someone dumping a safe, I run the other way as fast as I can. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because yeah, nothing good's very, happening. The neighborhood that they were in was very um, affluent neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like you know, he was probably like, what's this? You know, he's not thinking, oh, these guys are killers. And I don't know what he's thinking, but I kind of feel like, you know, he probably didn't feel like he was in danger and was like, what? You don't see this every day. It's a curiosity. This isn't normal. So let me ask you a sensitive question, maybe a little sensitive here. Talking to these detectives who you can tell by their voice, they're older, older gentlemen, right? Mm -hmm. Who were on the beat for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. So we're talking 1980s, yeah. Seattle. Um, mm-hmm. Were you not coming directly from the detectives, but did they mention any kind of anti-Asian or racial kind of tensions going on at the time? Did people you know, like how were how was the the Chinese community viewed in Seattle at the time? Um, was there any like any overtures if they were considered second class citizens or? either because it sounded like the police worked their fucking asses off as if they would as as they would with any crime so it doesn't seem like it was anything coming from the police force um the press seemed to cover it very fairly as they would with anything so it seemed like even back then in the 80s uh that seattle was cool racially you know i mean i can't speak to all the things that you just said but based on my conversations with them they both seemed very like the communities really came together, not only, yeah. you know, the Chinese community, because they wanted these people caught and were, you know, you heard that, that, that uh, interview where he was like, I was worried that this guy was going to break his kid's leg if he didn't tell the truth, because they yes. wanted to know the truth. But they also got ahead of the fact that they knew that, you know, they didn't really police in Chinatown that much. According to them, you know, they, you know, they just kept to themselves and there just wasn't a lot of crime, at least that they were reporting. And that was part of the problem because Willie Mock and Benjamin Ang were doing all this stuff. And these kids that they ran around with were afraid of him and they didn't tell anybody because they were afraid of repercussions. So I feel like in this particular case, the police did a really good job of getting translators to go and talk to the people, giving information to share with them of what they were doing, bringing people, um, they they all met together, the task force, and just basically was like, hey, we don't care. We just want to talk and get the interviews that we need to solve this for any other cases. And, you know, if, if your kid did this or was doing drugs or whatever, we don't care. We want answers related to this case. And, you know, they seemed very much like they wanted to solve it and they did. So how about the opposite then? Because that's where I think is a, is, is a, is a more interesting question. Um, how did the Chinese community feel about the government of the United States as a whole local state and federal, I mean, and, and federal state and local level down to the police force? Because in the in the episode, you hear a lot of kind of mistrust, like they don't use the banks, okay, mm-hmm. because of what they were fleeing or what they grew up with in, in kind of communist China. And to what I was speaking about earlier with the Russian community in West Hollywood, very, very similar, very similar, okay? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, they don't vote. They don't use the banks, really. They never call the cops if something's wrong, because look what they were fleeing. They're fleeing fucking Russia right in the 70s and 80s. You know, so and I would say based trust. on my conversations with them, that it was exactly the same thing. Hmm. You know, they they just didn't do a lot of policing and there there was the language barrier. And, um, you know, they just kind of kept to themselves. And um, hmm. I, I feel like they had to, I think as a result of this case, they really were like, hey, we need to do more in this area. We need to, we need to be, we need to be a larger presence. Yeah. like community policing and develop and build that trust, um, which they needed to earn, you right. know? So the lunacy of this Willie Mock character, I think answers the next question about like the fucking Pope van that they built for this witness, right? To be driven around safely, oh, in, right? Like bulletproof yeah. for years and shit. Yeah. And, and like, and this guy, the balls on this guy, he's not just stick around. Right. When he thinks that the maniacs are going to come try and kill him. Ooh. Yeah. 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 And, and testified in open court. Zero. Right. He testified. Yes. yes. Wow. Yes. And they had a vested interest in killing him even after the trials, because then when they were retrying. Yeah. They just have to get rid of this guy. You know, they if they got rid of it, then there would be no witnesses and they could say, hey, they were trying to blame it on the tongs. You know, yeah. so. And sorry. you know how you can sometimes. uh when someone's talking and like on the phone and you can't see him, but you can, you can kind of hear when they smile. Right. Yeah. The detective talking about this witness. Mm -hmm. And when he said, he goes, ah, oh, he was a great guy. He was a great guy. Like I can hear him smile talking about him and, and reminiscing. And it made me sad a little bit that I guess he's not alive anymore. He said he was yeah. a great guy. Huh? No, he's not alive anymore. And, and I mean, he had some major, you know, his, I don't think he ever fully recovered from his injuries. I mean, as significant as they were and and one detail that i did leave out because um <clears throat> they didn't they didn't talk about it but i'd read it somewhere else is that um white said to um tony ang the one who yeah. um get charged for murder he was hog tying them and he's like hey i'm an old man you know loosen the straps and he did and that's part of how he was able to get out because he basically wasn't as hog tied as the right. others and that's oh go ahead sorry because that's what we know that's what i was going to try and 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 just talk you through and talk myself through and the audience through because i i almost want to uh want to recreate it at home like my brother would help me like hog tie me okay put me far away from two sets of steel double doors that i have to open with the lower half of my face gone and bleeding out oh Right, like uh, about to pass out the whole time. How well, do you and then open... the ropes that they said were the hang hangman's right. name? Right. How do you open a door with hogtied hands behind your back and your feet are basically in your hands? That position is so vulnerable. Just you know, in a yoga studio, I can't even imagine. Like, because I was putting that in my head of like, what would that feel like? And. And then to be hogtied like that and to be on your stomach and not be able to move and to have your arms and legs up like that around, you know, pulled back. Right. So I was going to say, how did he how did he operate whatever locking mechanism was keeping the doors closed? He couldn't use his mouth. We know that because it was shot off. Yeah, right. So apparently like there was like his part head of on the, it? the fire door 
the fire door, you know how it has that inside yeah. kind of you, the push thing. So he was oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. on one of that, but he was like, and then he had loosened it up more because he said to Tony Ang, Hey, I'm an old man, please. You know? And so I think between that and then just the will to live, obviously this guy had a will to live and he did, you know, so he ends up getting out, you know? Well, my goodness. This guy, good for him because he brought the whole thing down, right? He did because yeah. you know that they would have that that could have been that could have been reasonable doubt yeah. if they didn't have a witness. They could have blamed it on some other gang. They could have, you know, and oh yeah, I I was there. I gambled the night before. That's why my fingerprints are there. Did you, you know? sense a little bit of guilt in any of the police officers who were saying that they had active warrants <laughs> on these two guys and didn't get them in time? I, I mean, obviously I included that cut in there. So I know that they had to have been like, they didn't say it, but like, you know, that's a big one. That's a pretty big one. Shoulda, woulda. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. And it could have avoided this massacre, you know? Well, but, and I also feel like the, the, the Bonchin, the witness to this, you know, he didn't come forward because he was scared. And it's of like, course. that's the thing about Willie Mock, where it wasn't just about, the police not being there or not able to get a warrant for these guys, but also, you know, the people who witnessed it, they don't trust the police. And so they, he didn't come forward because they didn't think they could protect him. And they probably would have been right to think that way. You know, like, how do I know that the, this Willie Mock isn't going to get out? And you know, he would have done it, blow up the restaurant, kill my entire family. Like right, he already, right. So I think that there was a lot of a lot of room and space to develop that relationship between law enforcement and the um, Chinese community in the international district. Wow. Wow, this guy. Oh, man. All and, right. and I mean, that's so brutal to think this much money is worth killing all these people. You know? Yeah, like, well, you get you know what it. I'm going to do. Right. But it's he obviously had a screw loose because of his ability to just murder people in cold blood. But but there's also, you know, different levels of desperation. You know, I mean, 30 grand is a lot of money, no matter how you slice it. Right. Uh, but for a guy with no prospects, probably, you know, it, it, he's looking at the rest of his life. He'll never be able to pay it back. And uh, and then you couple that with his you know, questionable moral sense of, of taking human life, not even questionable his lack of it. And the boom, that's, that's the answer. Where's the money. It's there. Cool. I'll just kill every witness and I'm, and I'm back to even, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's about the size of it. it pointless. Pointless. It's not quite as like, yeah, let's go play craps gambling. It's like he goes there and he gets into a big, big, big hole and see, and that's the problem, man. It, it's like, why do they, like, I'm so grateful that I never got to the point where I took out a loan to gamble. You know, like when I hit zero, I'm like, I'm done. And yeah. I was this 18 year old fucking loser anyway. So no casino was going to go, let's give this kid a marker. He's not even 21. So it was never an option that I like very wisely turned down. No, it's not what I'm saying. But I know people who are like, oh, I'll take a marker for like for 10 grand. And I'll turn that around and I'll get even. And then they don't. And so in these in these casinos, they just keep extending credit and they just own you. 
right? And so even this little illegal gambling hall in Seattle's Chinatown, they are obviously extending credit to this guy. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, well, and I feel like that scenario, like um, Tony Ng would have been like your scenario that you were just talking with yourself where, you know, he right. got into some trouble. Then he tried to get out of it. And I'm not making excuses for him no, because no, no, he no. participated. But that whole thing of like, hey, I, I have the thousand dollars. And then by then Willie Mock was like, Nope. Sorry, dude. You're coming. You're in this. Or I'm no killing you, or your entire bloodline. I'm killing everybody. <laughs> right. Like fucking and, lunatic. Yeah. And and that in that scenario, that Brandon, 18-year-old dipshit, it's like that that could have, I'm not saying it would have happened. I'm just saying mm-hmm. like that is how right. people get into serious trouble with absolutely with really bad actors who are willing to do anything anything yep. to get what they want wow wow well that's um that's really interesting and it opened up a whole new um a whole new understanding of kind of the cultural landscape up in seattle at, and and uh that i hadn't that I hadn't thought of before, you know, I think of the space needle and grunge and, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, uh, Starbucks and green spaces, but I never really, uh, thought of this. Like what was the other one with, um, Oh, that, that crazy murderer at the docks. Uh, oh, Billy Ghoul. Billy Ghoul. <laughs> yeah. Right. That was, that was great. I love that story. Um, Billy fucking ghoul. All right. Well, hey, great job. That was, uh, like I said, that was a nice cultural trip into a side of Seattle that I didn't know existed and um, and a really terrible, tragic case that I'm glad was uh, that they got to the bottom of. Um, so uh, the ending was Willie Mock is in jail forever. Um, they stayed his death sentence. And uh, so they said they'll never kill him. <clears throat> He'll never get out of jail. And he doesn't get to have any more trials. Like he signed away that right. Yeah, he's in Walla Walla. He's he's like, he's done. And the other guy did twenty eight years, and he's out, right? Ng. Yeah, Tony Ng, he's out. Okay. And then Benjamin Ng is in for life too at Walla Walla. Pointless. Wow. Well, well done. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the episode. I know I did. Uh, can I ask you what's next, or yes, or you still hate me? Okay. No, we're 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 all good, Brandon. Okay. We're, all, we're all good, Booga. <laughs> I, I hung out with my brother last night. That's so funny. That's funny. So all next right. week we're going to dive into the Night Stalker case. Ooh. Richard Ramirez. Yes. Who terrorized LA and San Francisco in the mid 1980s? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Is it? Do you cover everything in one episode? Do you split it up? You know, at this point, I'm just going to do one episode. I have some a request out to get some interview tapes from the sheriff's office, but who knows? Who knows if I'll get them in time? So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Ooh, looking forward to it. All right. Well, uh, as always, thank you, everyone, for, uh, for dropping in with us. We appreciate it. Um, as we always say, please consider supporting the people who support the show. Again, the commercials that you hear aren't just random. They're all products that Carolyn has specifically vetted and uh, uses personally. Correct? Absolutely. Thank yes. you so much. Any support to the show, we so appreciate it because it lets us do what we love to do. And, yeah. you know, Brandon is always so like, you're great. You're, but then he's also a jerk too. 
But um, he actually works really, really hard on this show. So give him some well, love. Yes, but I, I love doing it, and uh, it's it's great, you know, working with the the level of content that you give. So that, that makes it that makes it easy. And I'm I'm not just I'm not just saying that. It's true. So uh, I appreciate your hard work, Carolyn. Thank you, and thank you everybody who's listening. Please keep uh, emailing us um, suggestions for future shows. We always appreciate that, and any kind of rate and review on Apple Podcasts uh, really really helps. Believe it or not, it helps a lot. So. If you could uh, be so kind as to head over to Apple and give us a rate and a review, that would be awesome. Awesome. Until next time. Until next time. We'll catch up with you all next week. Bye. The Murder Chronicles is a Cavalry audio production recorded live in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. We're produced by Brandon Morgan and myself. Our executive producers are Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. Josh Windish edited and mixed this episode. Music by Soundstripe. For Cavalry Audio, I'm Carolyn Osorio, your writer and host. Thanks for listening. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.